You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. Welcome back to another episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. Today I'm here with Neil Sherman, one of our directors at 7 Mile. Neil heads up our IES practice, Infrastructure, Industrial, Energy, and Environmental Services. Neil, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit more about the sector that you cover. Yeah. Hi, Ariel. Thanks for the opportunity to join the podcast today. So the area that I focus on here at 7 Mile is all around infrastructure, industrial, energy, and environmental services. So it's folks providing things like engineering services, land services, field services, architectural design, construction, construction management, a whole host of services to those end sectors that I mentioned. When we think about clients in the IES space, oftentimes they're what's typically referred to as in the AEC industry, architecture, engineering, and environmental consulting. They could be in the construction industry. They could be providing uh, oil field services or something similar. But at the end of the day, they're all providing typically high-value add services to their clients and oftentimes doing it with uh, a bit of technology enablement behind it. Perfect. So you joined Seven Mile a few years ago, but before you were with Seven Mile, you were actually working in more of a corporate development role. So what kind of prompted that move over to the investment banking side? And then how do you feel that experience kind of helps your customers out having kind of both lenses that you can look through a project through? Yeah, that's a great question. I had um, a little bit of interesting background getting getting to where I am here at Seven Mile. So I'm actually civil and environmental engineer by education and came out of school and went to work for an engineering firm out of Pittsburgh. And while I was there, you know, started out kind of literally getting my boots dirty out in the field, but moved into a finance role and then subsequently a corporate development role there internally, where I was focused on M&A and strategic growth from the vantage point of working within, within the company and within part of our broader strategic growth plan. That experience got me a chance to look through the lens of a buyer, and particularly a buyer that's part of a publicly traded company, at deals and deal opportunities. So how do they advance our corporate strategy? Culturally, are they aligned with what we're trying to accomplish? And then from a financial standpoint, is this going to be an accretive deal or a dilutive deal? And of course, for a publicly traded company, you know, accretive deals are, are pretty important. So that piece of perspective was great experience to sort of build some of the blocks as it relates to deal making and deal experience. And since that point, it's given me a little bit of a unique vantage point when I'm working with our sell side clients to know kind of what the buyers are going to ask, what they're going to expect, and the way in which they're oftentimes going to be thinking about a deal. As it relates to making the switch to banking, I've, I, I really have always enjoyed working on transactions regardless of what side of the table I'm sitting on. And what we do here at 7 Mile, working with clients on both buy and sell side M&A engagements, as well as private capital engagements, it's really given me an opportunity to take that experience, you know, working within the IES space, as well as working, you know, purely on transactions and uh, in a transactional environment uh, to help our clients meet their growth and, uh, and liquidity objectives. 
So you get to kind of work from that nexus between banking and business development. But interestingly enough, you also get to work at the nexus between quote unquote dirty jobs, the background that you come from, and now working with a bank that does a lot with business services and technology firms. How has that kind of played out for you? And what does that mean for how you're able to advise clients kind of seeing multiple kinds of companies and a few different business structures, um, especially as you're seeing more and more in the IES sector, a lot of overlap with the business services and the technology? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think one of the things that got me most excited about joining Seven Mile was the firm's experience in technology and technology services. We are in what many folks are calling, and it might even be a cliche at this point, you know, we're in the fourth industrial revolution. Industrial jobs and infrastructure business, infrastructure services, engineering services, this is all being digitized, whether it's through Internet of Things, whether it's through other tech enablement, but everything that's been kind of a traditional dirty job or, or perhaps, you know, kind of a hard hat job, all of these businesses are starting to advance their forefront into technology. And some industries in particular, I might pick on construction for a minute because it's near and dear to my heart, are some of the farthest behind as it relates to their technology advancement. But what that's translated to is, while these businesses you know, have many strides yet to make, they can also see a tremendous impact that technology can bring to their businesses. And so getting an opportunity here at Seven Mile to work with more traditional engineering and industrial and infrastructure-oriented businesses, as well as some very high-tech businesses, it puts me personally at a bit of a unique vantage point to see the advantages to both and oftentimes can bring some perspectives from each to those respective client types. I think about some of our clients in the engineering or infrastructure space, and they're leveraging things like LIDAR, where they're out, out there physically, digitally mapping the environment. They're using things like artificial intelligence or machine learning to analyze vast pieces of data as it relates to infrastructure or the mapped environment. We've got folks that are out there using things like SCADA to understand what's going on say, in an oil field environment where they can pull data real time and run that through their internal systems and understand if there's an issue on a job immediately versus finding out days, hours or days later when an inspector might go out to a wellhead or in a water wastewater plant, an inspector might go out to a a particular tank and see what's going on. So all of these things we think are going to drive growth in these industries, we think are going to continue to drive M&A in these industries. And I think where we sit at Seven Mile, kind of at the nexus of all of this, puts us in a pretty unique position to advise our clients in a fundamentally different way than if we were purely focused on traditional engineering or or industrial services, or if we were purely focused on tech. At the end of the day, the common thread with our clients is their most important assets tend to go home at five o'clock or whatever time they leave the office. And they're all kind of worried about the same stuff. They're worried about backlog. They're worried worried about utilizing their people in the best way that they can. They're worried about the intellectual property that they're developing, whether that's in the form of designs or methodologies or accelerators. And taking all of that knowledge and all of that experience and kind of bringing that together in an encompassing way is one of the best ways that we can bring real strategic advice and value to our clients. Yeah, so there's no denying, obviously, that these companies are having to embrace technology now as well as protect protect their biggest asset, their people. 
Are you seeing that they are attacking that more from an acquisition standpoint? Are you seeing it pretty evenly that they're also starting to grow that from within? So building technology in-house versus acquiring for, say, a technology company. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. And the third leg to that stool, too, is just technology partnerships as well, right? And, And developing partnerships with software or service providers that can really provide you know, the tools in the toolbox to which our clients can then customize and bring to their clients and provide value on their projects. But I think it's a little bit of both, Ariel. Fundamentally, the main reason to, to do something via acquisition is either because you can't do it yourself or build it yourself or because you can do it faster through an acquisition versus building it organically and developing some of these technologies, you know, whether it's a software or whether it's a, a methodology or even just bringing together a customer base that is able to uh, to be receptive to that particular technological advancement, that takes time. So a lot of our customers are looking to M&A as a means to accelerate their technology roadmap internally and bring more value to their clients, as well as, frankly, bringing on some really talented and smart people in the process that are not just going to help. They're not doing these deals saying, hey, we're going to acquire your company and just keep doing what you're doing. They're going to say, hey, join our team and be an important member of it, and let's grow the business together. So I think you're going to continue to see M&A driven by the need for technology advancement. And uh, I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon. Gotcha. I would love to touch on, just real quick before we move on, in Q3, Q4 of last year, you closed two deals in the sector. What was kind of the driving force behind those? Were there any trends specifically or kind of strategies behind those transactions? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk a little bit about each of those. So one deal that we had the opportunity to work on and, and, and we're thrilled to work with a great client is RSNH out of Jacksonville, Florida. So RSNH is, uh, is one of the leading firms in the, uh, in the engineering services space. And they've really got some expertise with transportation and aviation projects. So they do a lot of work for departments of transportation in roads, bridges, highways, large-scale infrastructure, as well as at, at uh, airports. And so we worked with them on the buy side to acquire a firm called TSH out of Denver, which provided transportation design, construction engineering and inspection, and probably most importantly, design build service. So both RSNH and TSH have expertise in it, but this deal really brought RSNH into the Colorado market in a big way. And why the design build was important is we're seeing that particular procurement method, and not to get too far down in the weeds, but effectively it's an owner saying, instead of me hiring an engineer to design this bridge, and then separately I'm going to take it out, out to bid to a contractor to bid on the job and then construct it, that's done in one cohesive way. So through a design-build team, a combination of an engineer and a contractor, the project is getting designed and built simultaneously, which oftentimes you know, can lead to a quicker delivery and, uh, if done properly, savings on the job, some of which is going to accrue to the design-build team if they can deliver things ahead of schedule under budget. So that deal was really strategic for RSNH. To bring them into Colorado, which is a strong market for transportation, uh, we view as a growing market for transportation, and got them a very, very talented group of folks to go out and advance, not just providing 
typical engineering services, but provide some of these higher value add design build services in that particular market. The other deal that we had a chance to close, and this is one that um, we're particularly proud of because we were working with a third generation family owned business, was a company called Ajax Building Corporation out of Tallahassee, Florida. So Ajax was one of the leading construction management at risk providers throughout the Southeast, and they would work on some pretty high tech facilities. So things like a 911 emergency center with lots of fiber optics, data, technology running through it, uh, working on laboratories, on university campuses, working in healthcare projects, some pretty important building types that, that they're focused on. So we had a chance to work with them on the sell side, and uh, they were really looking to an oper- for an opportunity to get with a larger partner that could help them scale and grow more quickly. And so ultimately, had a chance to do a deal with a company called Structure Tone, general contractor out of New York City did not have a significant presence in the Southeast and also was really working on, you know, some different building types as well. So the deal provided diversification for the structure tone team, got them into the Southeast, which is relatively new geography, got them some additional building types in core and shell around healthcare, laboratory, education, so on and so forth, and really provided a, a great match in terms of being able to continue to help scale that business. And the other piece that's particular to that that industry is the bonding requirements on these jobs. A construction company can only do so much work at a given time because it has to be it has to be bonded by a surety company that says, hey, I'm going to limit the amount of work that you can do and therefore I'm going to limit my risk exposure as the underwriter. Well, the bigger bonding capacity has kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of taken the handcuffs off of, of the Ajax team. And they're now able to go able to go out and chase bigger and more projects because they've got a bigger partner behind them. So two win-win deals, and uh, really thrilled to get a chance to work with both of those clients and, and put together what uh, what we believe are and are, are going to grow to be even more so a very successful transaction. Thank you for the color there. Kind of helps bring bring some of the ideas that we were talking about into more of a tangible aspect. But along those front lines that you're on right now with M&A, working day-to-day with clients, taking projects to market, you have a lot of exposure to buyers, sellers, um, and have a really ear to the ground in terms of what's going on in the space. So what trends are you seeing that you would want business owners to be aware of? What are you seeing out there? You know, we spoke to technology, but I do want to reiterate it. I think that technology really is a differentiator. It does not mean that you have to have a team of software developers writing your own proprietary software. We're really talking about technology enablement. So it may be that even be as basic as packaging and utilizing off-the-shelf tools and being able to do that, utilize that to do one of two things, which is either deliver your product or service more efficiently and cost-effectively, improving your bottom line, or you're going to be able to offer something different to your customers that's going to differentiate you from the next guy and increase your top line. And I think that it can't be overstated, especially in some of these more industrial-oriented industries in which we work. Technology enablement is coming if it's not already there. And if you don't start to push that envelope, one of your competitors is going to beat you to the punch. I had a chance last week to go to the IoT in Action conference down here in Houston, which was a Microsoft event. 
where they talked all about their IoT enablement solutions. And when you looked around the room at the folks that were there, these were oil field services companies. These were infrastructure constructors and consulting companies. These were testing and inspection firms. These were not Silicon Valley companies that were here at this event. These were industrial and infrastructure services businesses, and they're all there trying to figure out how can we leverage IoT technology to improve our business and improve what we're delivering to our customers. Another thing I'd mention is just private equity interest. Private equity right now is at historic highs in terms of dry powder and investment capital that they have available. They remain very interested in all these industries and are looking for ways to come in and help companies grow. And and I think when you think about a services business, like what most of our clients are, and you think about a private equity partnership, it has to be exactly that. It has to be a partnership because at the end of the day, you know, I mentioned it earlier in the, in the, in the conversation here, the most important assets go home at five o'clock. So if you can't truly form a partnership with management and with the employees to grow that business together, it's not going to be a successful partnership. So I do think private equity interest is going to increase and continue to be a driver. And perhaps the last thing I might mention is sort of recurring revenue or as-a-service revenue models. When you think about typical consulting or engineering or, or similar services businesses, a lot of times the model has been basically selling an hour of my time in exchange for some hourly rate. And folks that are on the T&M model are really having a hard time finding leverage with that model, right? There's only so many hours in the day. So you're constrained as a function of how many people you can hire and how much work those people can do. Folks that have been able to move more towards a recurring or as a service revenue model, meaning we may bill you monthly to provide a service and that service is provided either in a fixed amount or perhaps we're on call, but each and every month it's going to be a one-time fee and it's not going to cost you, Mr. Customer, any more or any less or other ways that are more subscription-oriented, perhaps we sell you a subscription to a data set, or we sell you a subscription to a software that we've built, whatever it may be. Moving away from T&M and more towards a recurring revenue model, I think is a pretty strong way, one, for firms to certainly increase their revenue visibility, two, for firms to oftentimes increase their margins, and three, frankly, increase the valuation of their business due to the combination of the two aforementioned factors. So for business owners that are looking to dive a little bit deeper, maybe into some of these trends that you're seeing and other bankers in our office are seeing, we have some pretty good forums for that, actually. So upcoming, we have two different events that give a lot of exposure into these trends, dive a little bit deeper on some of the topics. One of them is actually coming up on May 9th in Pittsburgh. It's the second time that we have held this Capital Strategies Workshop um, we co-host it with McGuire Woods, and it's held at their office in Pittsburgh. This is something that you're heavily involved with, Neil, not only because you're from the area, but because you're pretty passionate about actually being able to get in front of these business owners and give them tangible knowledge that's really helpful, whether they're looking to pursue a transaction short-term, near-term, long-term. Um, it's a great forum just for them to gain a lot of information. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what people could expect from this event on the 9th? Yeah, so I am a native of, of uh, just outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and it is a place that's near and dear to my heart. And it's also, I think, a really interesting place, especially in light of some of these trends we've been talking about. Not uh, not intended for this to be a history podcast, but uh, as many people know, 
Pittsburgh was kind of the birthplace of the steel industry in the United States. And for a long time, you know, it was kind of a, kind of thought of as a bit of a dirty city, right? Uh, you've got uh, heavy steel industry, you know, air pollution, a bunch of uh, blue collar roll up your sleeves kind of folks. And when the steel industry sort of disappeared in Pittsburgh, it has been more successful perhaps than any other U.S. sort of industrial or quote unquote Rust Belt city in pivoting towards a technology hub. So now you've got folks like Uber, Google, Facebook, Apple, all opening offices in Pittsburgh, as well as the significant healthcare industry and uh, consulting and professional services industry that's all revolving around what once was, you know, the capital of steelmaking in the United States. So it's, we think, a pretty interesting place to come and have a conference, uh, especially for folks that are kind of at this hub of technology mixed with traditional industrial services. And uh, we're excited to have a group of, uh, of CEOs and, and executives in the room here to join us for an afternoon where we'll talk about a couple of things. So one area that we're going to spend time, we want to give folks an update on basically what we're seeing in the market. So where's the economy heading? Where are valuations right now as it relates to a range of industries? So if I run a business that looks like X, where might I expect my business to be valued right now? And what are the factors that I should consider as a CEO that are going to help me improve that valuation? Whether I'm looking to do a deal right now or not, I think it's always healthy and, and good to know kind of where you stand. And it's always healthy to know the important triggers that are going to help you build a more valuable business, whether it's for the near term or the long run. Secondly, we're going to be joined by some pretty interesting and experienced private equity investors. So we'll have folks from Tecum Capital, Incline Equity, and uh, PNC River Arch joining us for a panel session to talk a little bit about what it's like to partner with private equity, how they work with business owners, the types of deals that they like to put together, and uh, some of the success stories that they've seen building businesses together in partnership with entrepreneurs and founders. So we'll be, be joined by a group of great private equity folks for that. And then lastly, we'll spend a little time on business and M&A best practices. So we'll be joined by some folks from our partners at McGuire Woods, which is uh, deeply experienced in mergers and acquisitions law and uh, transaction documents. We'll be joined with our partners at Eurish Popek, who's a uh, local accounting firm in the Pittsburgh area, CPA, and uh, can provide some insights on um, some of the financial and accounting aspects of M&A transactions. And uh, we'll have some members from our team at Seven Mile as well, kind of speaking to uh, what are the things that folks should consider, best practices they should follow, and really the best way to achieve a successful outcome in a transaction. And when I think about folks that are attending, we'll have a host of, of other CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, and executives who may be considering pursuing a transaction sometime soon may not be considering pursuing a transaction anytime soon. But we look at this as an opportunity to provide some education and some input above and beyond, you know, kind of just what you read on LinkedIn in an interactive kind of a way that, that we can pro provide a forum for folks to network and talk about some of these interesting and relevant and current topics around M&A and, uh, and uh, growth strategies. So that's one event that we are clearly very excited about coming up. Falling closely on the heels of that event um, is actually a second event that we are planning on May 15th. 
This event is something that we're co-hosting with Pillsbury Law out of the Texas region, as well as the Environmental Business International. So they actually publish Environmental Business Journal, which may be something that folks that are in this IES space are familiar with. This is a bit more industry-specific event. Neil, tell us a little bit more about the types of content that'll be at this event and then who this would be most relevant to. Yeah, so we're excited about this one too. So folks may be familiar with uh, with EBI and their big annual conference in San Diego that they do. We've gone to that conference, we presented there and, uh, and sat on panel sessions, things like that. But we're uh, excited about this more focused event that we're doing in partnership with the folks at EBI and, and Pillsbury here in Houston to talk a little bit about some current trends in the environmental industry. So we're going to talk a little bit about, broadly speaking, the energy industry. We are sitting here in Houston, Texas, in the energy capital of the world. What impacts there are from an environmental perspective, considerations for folks that are out there either advising clients or folks who are owners of the assets themselves as it relates to environmental compliance and, and some of the issues that folks are facing in the current environment. We will talk seven mile, talk a little bit about some of the trends that we're seeing from a market perspective. So M&A and industry consolidation, talking about valuation, talk a little bit about private equity. We'll talk about technology trends and broadly, what are some of the strategic growth drivers in the industry right now, as well as we'll have a private equity panel where we'll have some folks who have made successful investments in the environmental space join us to talk a little bit about um, their experience and their strategic objectives. So folks attending this event, generally speaking, it's going to be environmental service providers. So that could be environmental consulting and engineering firms. And we're expecting, you know, CEOs, principals, and founders of those types of businesses. It could be environmental contractors or other service providers, testing firms, remediation specialists, really anyone that's in and around that environmental ecosystem in Texas and beyond. And the last thing I'll mention, we will have a session uh, really around resilience. And what does resiliency mean? We unfortunately were faced with Hurricane Harvey here just a couple years ago in Houston, and the unprecedented flooding that, that that particular issue created has caused us to rethink a lot of the ways that we're doing things. So Folks that are providing services around resilience, whether it's it's around planning or whether it is around folks on the disaster recovery side, this would be an interesting piece of the event for you to see as well. So really think of this event as an opportunity to bring together a multifaceted group of business owners around the environmental services industry to come together for a full day, spend time networking, spend time talking with some folks that have some different perspectives, like ourselves, like our, our, our friends and colleagues over at Pillsbury and EBI, give a little perspective on a set of issues that are facing owners of those services businesses, as well as their clients, and being able to take that out, hopefully to some uh, provide some more insightful solutions for, for, uh, for the end customer at the end of the day. So as we start to wrap up here, Neil, I'm going to leave you with one final question. Obviously, we work around technology and we all live in a very technology-centric world. What do you think is most beneficial about these actual face-to-face events? There's only so much you can get out of a webinar. And 
I myself have been guilty as such. You put the webinar on and then you find yourself multitasking in a bunch of other calls and emails. And by the time you are done, you look up and you've got a webinar playing, you've got a phone in the ear and you're typing an email all at the same time and you're paying attention to none of them. So I think for us, getting together face-to-face and really making the connection, one, it gives folks a chance to get some time and focus. And two, probably more importantly, it gets some time for some good old-fashioned human interaction here. And I think both of these events are driven around networking, getting a chance to shake hands with and, and, and connect with folks that may be able to provide some complimentary services or solutions to you maybe form some teaming or or some partnership or some other arrangements. But uh, whatever the end result is, I do think that getting together face-to-face really has some pretty substantial benefits versus just trying to do this over the phone or or something similar. Thank you. So if anyone is interested um, in attending either of these events, you can register for them on our website. So if you go to sevenmileadvisors.com and visit our events page, you can find links to register for both of these events. Um, and just a quick reminder, the May 9th event will be in Pittsburgh and the May 15th event will be in Houston. Again, both of those are on our website. So Neil, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. We will see you next time. Thanks, Ariel. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business. 